Each week in this podcast, we have the opportunity to consider God's Word as we dig a little deeper into the passage that was just preached last Sunday. My name is David Miller, and I'm the pastor of membership here at McGregor Baptist Church, and this is Beyond the Notes. I had the joy this past Sunday to preach through the last passage in John chapter 4 where Jesus heals the official son and then the result is the dad gets saved and all his household as well. But before we got into the narrative of the miracle, the apostle John, whom the Lord used to write the gospel of John, has this odd side note in verse 44 of John chapter 4 and it says this, For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. And as I mentioned Sunday, at first glance, this statement sort of comes out of nowhere. It seems like it's out of place. But John's actually quoting a a statement Jesus made and referring to the particular moment that Jesus made it. But that moment is is found nowhere in John's gospel, except here in verse 44 of John chapter 4 with this one sentence. So today on Beyond the Notes, what I wanted to do is look at the details of what John was referring to. Um, But in order to do that, we've got to go to the other gospel accounts. The good news is it's actually in three other, the other three Gospels, the Synoptics. Uh, It's in Matthew 13, it's in Mark 6, and it's also in Luke. And that's the one that I want us to look at just for a few minutes in Beyond the Notes. So if you have a Bible, turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 16 and move all the way through verse 30. And let's see what this unique sentence from John 4, verse 44 is referring to as Luke fleshes it out. So beginning in verse 16, it says, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum do here in your own hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. There's the quote from John chapter 4, verse 44. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, 
when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine came over the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. When they had heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. They rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, Jesus went away. Wow. So in one sentence in John chapter 4, Luke spends 16 verses uh, detailing the events that had to do with that one sentence from John chapter 4, verse 44. And it's obviously we get from Luke, thankfully, and the other gospel accounts, more detail about this, this homecoming, if you will. Now, a homecoming is usually considered to be a good thing, right? Um, you probably have seen that moment on the evening news where um, a soldier comes home from deployment uh, overseas and then will surprise his family. Uh, it's maybe like an elementary school classroom where there's been a guest uh, speaker to come in and read a book to the kids and, and in walks dad and he's coming home from Afghanistan or something like that in his fatigues and his daughter is <laughs> among the kids and she jumps up and jumps in her daddy's arms. It's a sweet moment because it's unexpected. But not all homecomings are uh, not all unexpected homecomings are uh, sweet and pleasant. In fact, some are unpleasant, and, and Jesus is experiencing one that is anything but pleasant. Uh, so when Jesus read from the Old Testament scroll in Isaiah, uh, in the synagogue there in Nazareth, he made it real clear that the Messiah that Isaiah was talking about was him. And, and we just read what their reaction was. Uh, I think the biggest reminder from this unexpected homecoming that is very unpleasant was that even though the message of grace is freedom to some people, it's an offense to other people. I think that's one of the big takeaways from uh, Luke's further fleshing out of that moment. Um, and, and all I want to do with our time together is hopefully explain why the message of grace is offensive to many folks. Uh, so this is what is going on in, in, in Luke chapter 4. In a local synagogue at this time during this day, after a rabbi had finished reading uh, from the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, he would, he would sit down on a bench while all the other people in attendance would be sitting on the floor. And that was his opportunity uh, to give his take on what he just read, what the passage was that he just read. That's what's going on in verse 20 of Luke uh, chapter 4. So in anticipation of that, every eye was fixed on Jesus, Luke, Luke tells us. And, and, and what did Jesus say? What was he going to say about this passage, which is Isaiah, actually from Isaiah chapter 61. And so what does Jesus do? Well, he says in verse 21, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. You want his take? He just gave it to you. There you go. You've got it. He, he, he is saying to any who might be skeptical that he was way more than a good teacher. He was claiming in that moment, 
in verse 21 to be the Messiah. Jesus reads the prophecy. He claims it's about him. And, and you would think in that moment that he's back in his own hometown that the local high school band would fire up at that moment. -na 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 -na. But that's not what happened, right? Instead, there's this response of unbelief. And it's quite surprising. It's interesting to me that Jesus was the preacher of the day in that synagogue and they didn't like him. They didn't believe him. And that just goes on to show you that how fickle human beings actually are. They had Jesus for their preacher and they didn't like his message, which is actually what they wanted was, was a different message. Um, and, and verse 22 really gets at that in, a, in an unusual way. In most modern English translations of verse 22 in Luke 4, it says, and all spoke well of him. Just, just, just like the ESV that I read from, uh, yours probably says something positive about them speaking of Jesus, unless you have the King James or the New King James. And those two translations, I believe, actually get closer to what the original language in Greek is, is communicating. And so in the King James, verse 22 says, they all bear him witness. And in the New King James, it says they all bore witness. You hear the difference? Uh, the, these last two mentions from, these, from the King James and the New King James, those are neutral statements. They're not a positive statement like, like most modern English translations are. It's just that people bore witness. They were just talking about Jesus. And there's actually no indication in the Greek language that they were saying something either positive or negative. Now, I'm not trying to make a case for the King James Version, but, we, but, but all we know here is that speaking of Jesus, many translations make the call that they were speaking positively, and that is a translator's call. That's not in the text. So, um, and, and again, this isn't a huge deal. This doesn't you know, cripple the heart of this passage. I want to be clear about that. But my point is, it would be odd if they were speaking well of him in verse 22 and then move straight to rage in verse 28 all of a sudden. So maybe the rage comes on like a slow boil rather than an instantaneous explosion. That's all I'm suggesting here. But, but verse 22 also goes on to say, they marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Now again, that does not say that they were saying gracious words about Jesus. It was saying that they were marveled, they were amazed. Some translations even use the word astonished by Jesus's gracious words. He's speaking words of grace that, that, that they had never heard before. So, so they took offense to his gracious words and that offense keeps building. Friends all across the world are mosques and synagogues and temples and, and even churches uh, who are preaching a message, but it ain't the message of God's grace. It's actually the, the, the message of the bad news about religion See, religion preaches what you and I must do for God in order to gain salvation. But grace is about what God's already done for sinners like us that makes it possible for us to be saved. Uh, so similar to what we discovered this past Sunday during um, our study of John chapter 1, that God's not obligated to heal anyone physically, God's also not obligated to save anyone. Uh, the fact that he does save some uh, is just a testimony to his grace. But if you're, if you're living your life on the treadmill of religion, trying to please God and do things to make him like you, um, running hard to earn his favor, then, then 
then you might be thinking that he's obligated to save you. And so the message of grace would be offensive to you. But they wanted a different message. They wanted a different messenger too. Uh, as he's speaking, uh, they're already irritated about his handling of Isaiah 61. Um, and, and, and that offense grows as we see this question in the last part of verse 22. If you've got your Bibles, look at what they ask. Is this not Joseph's son? <laughs> this is not a happy question. This is not hometown pride that they're asking in the spirit of. Uh, their question is, doesn't he know better than to teach about grace? He grew up here. He was trained in this synagogue. Um, and so they were very offended at what Jesus was saying about his message of grace. So well, the interesting thing is Jesus responds to that question and their statements with two stories from the Old Testament where someone did respond in faith to God's message of grace. See, God's offer of salvation is not just made to a select group of people uh, that is based upon, oh, their religious heritage or their religious track record, but salvation is a legitimate offer to anyone who will turn from their sin and by faith trust in Jesus Christ to save them. That offer is simply by His grace. Again, God's under no obligation to save anyone. So, so briefly, let's look at the two stories that Jesus mentions here as the back half of this passage sort of wraps up. One's about a widow. And this, this moment that's mentioned in Luke 4 can actually be found in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. That during a time of drought, Elijah was a prophet. And God told Elijah to go to Zarephath in Sidon. That was a territory outside of Israel. And, and there he would find a widow and her son to stay with and care for them. And the son dies while Elijah is, is there. And God uses Elijah to raise that boy from the dead. Uh, and so in Luke 4, Jesus says to those listening to him in the synagogue, if you look in verses 24, 25, and 26, he's, he's essentially saying, don't you find it strange that God would send one of Israel's prophets to someone outside of Israel, a widow that is outside of Israel? Wouldn't you think that there would be plenty of widows in Israel that would have a dead son because of this drought, because of the famine? But that's not what, God's did, what God did in Elijah's day. God saved a Gentile. Uh, he saved a heathen, a foreigner, a, a woman that was in dire poverty, who was a desperate widow that responded to God's gracious provision that came through Elijah, and she responded by faith. Wait, 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 wait. What are you telling me? She didn't deserve to be in God's family. Right. None of us do. Her religious track record's not impressive. Right. None of us uh, are have a religious track record that's impressive. So how is she saved? By grace. He tells the story about the widow. Then he tells the story about a general in verse 27. Again, this, this moment in the Old Testament can be found in 2 Kings chapter 5. And in a similar situation, God used Elisha, different prophet than Elijah, but he used Elisha to heal a man named Naaman, who was a general in the Syrian army at the time, and Naaman had leprosy. Now, you may know something about leprosy from the Bible, but leprosy was a widespread skin disease that was particularly offensive to the Jewish people because if they had leprosy, they were not allowed to be involved in religious activities. 
Um, and so what does Elisha do? He heals Naaman. And in verse 27, Jesus in Luke 4 says to those listening in the synagogue, there were lots of Jewish people in Elisha's day that needed to be healed of leprosy, but God didn't do that, did he? No, on that day, God used Elisha to heal a Syrian, a man who is an enemy of God's people. He's a Gentile. He's a heathen. He's a foreigner, a killer, actually, who desperately wants wanted to be healed, and he responded to Elisha by faith. Now, how was Naaman made whole? Again, by God's grace. Just as God's grace has no obligations to save, God's grace has no restrictions. God is not obligated to save anyone, and he can save anyone he pleases. And so by the time these two stories are over that are in Luke 4, uh, the folks in the synagogue were hopping mad, if you notice that when we read the passage. It's clear they finally put two and two together, and uh, they didn't sing uh, just as I am or tis so sweet to trust in Jesus in that moment. No, if you look at verses 28 and 29, they realized he wasn't their Messiah. He wasn't the one that they expected or the one that they wanted. And so their response was they were filled with wrath. See, grace will either tick you off or it will cause you to worship. One of those two responses is all we've got. And so here it ticks them off and they tried to kill him. And this plot to murder him uh, really begins right here in Nazareth. And we'll see it in the culmination as Jesus is executed on the cross. But even though they attempted his murder, it didn't happen on this day. Because in verse 30, it says they passed through their midst and he went away. They were not going to kill him on this day. And do you know why? Well, because his life was not theirs to take. Uh, in fact, Jesus makes it clear in John 10, 18, when he says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own. And two years after this, Jesus would lay his life down. And then three days after that, he'd pass right through the door of the tomb. Uh, and after he lays his life down on the cross... His resurrection becomes the means by which anyone is saved. Friends, the message of grace here is amazing. It's offensive to some people, but praise God, it's freedom from all who turn from their sin and trust in Jesus. So that's about it for Beyond the Notes this week. Thank you again for joining us. If you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe. Subscribe to our podcast, and we'd appreciate very much a review. That simple step helps us a whole lot. Also, who do you know that you could share this podcast with? You never know who you might encourage with one of these episodes, so share it. Oh, and by the way, go to mcgregorpodcast.com to learn about all of our podcasts uh, and how to listen to them. And if you want to be ready for next Sunday's sermon, um, we'll be taking a one, day, a one Sunday break from the study of the book of John. We'll be looking this Sunday at Romans 1 and Psalm 2. So make sure you join us again next week, and we'll catch up in this uh, episode of Beyond the Notes. Thank you.